Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Each month, this podcast tackles the topics that are important to pulse crop farmers, including market opportunities for your crop, market access and trade and policy developments, innovative agronomic approaches, transportation for Canadian crops, and a whole lot more. My name is Alison Fletcher, and I'm the research project manager with the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. And today I will be chatting with Dr. Kirsten Bett, professor in the Department of Plant Sciences at the University of Saskatchewan. Kirsten has been working in the area of pulse genomics and dry bean breeding for a number of years, and today we are focusing our conversation with her on her completed Agile research project and how the outcomes of this research are impacting growers in the province, as well as driving a new research project. Thank you for joining us today, Kirsten. Thanks, Allison. It's great to chat with you today. So first of all, uh, for the benefit of the new listeners, can you just briefly explain what Agile stands for? Yeah, Agile stands for uh, Application of Genomic Innovation in the Lentil Economy. And you can thank Bert Vandenberg for that. He is quite the master of acronyms. Well, it's been very handy to have the, a, a nice, neat uh, shortcut to refer to the project. That's for sure. Can you just briefly explain uh, as well at a high level uh, what was done during the Agile project and why? All right. I guess the primary objective uh, from my standpoint was that I wanted to turbocharge some of our understanding of lentil genomics so that we could then turn around and apply this knowledge to solving some of the basic problems that we run up against as breeders. And so a major constraint that all breeding programs have is uh, is accessing new sources of genetic variability, new genes that could be used to divert, to develop your improved varieties. And so it's you know it's one thing to make those elite by elite crosses. And funnily enough, I was just teaching this this morning. Um, it's one thing to make those crosses, but if you need something that's not there, you've got to reach out further, and and access genes from unadapted germplasm, which is great if, you know, there's a trait that has something you're interested in, let's say disease resistance or whatever, a new quality trait. Um, But it means it comes with baggage. uh, And a big one is not being adapted to our crazy long days and short growing seasons that we have here in Canada. I mean, this is not a normal, we all think this is a normal place for lentils, but it's not where they come from and it's not where they've been grown for 5,000 years, right? And so to do this, we carried out this really large multi-location field trial, which was super fun and, and really enlightening because we took basically 324 lines that we gathered from a, a few different gene banks. They represent the breadth of the, the germplasm. So Bits, uh, lines from here, from the Middle East, from all the lentil growing regions of the world. We tried to sample them as best we could. And then we took those and we grew them in nine locations around the world for two seasons. So three here in um, North America, three around the Mediterranean, and three in South Asia. And then we in partnership, we didn't do this all by ourselves. We did this in partnership with, we did two of them. We did the Saskatchewan locations. And then we got friends um, in all these other regions around the world to actually um, look after them. And then between three or four of us, we did what we used to call the the great, the amazing lentil race. We'd go around the world and visit these sites and make sure that everything was going as planned and that we all were on the same page with taking notes basically on things like days to flower and days to maturity, because those are sort of the key indicators of when 
of how uh, a plant is, whether it's adapted, I guess, to the environment it's growing in. And so then we took that information and we're combining it with the genotyping that we did. So understanding the DNA and the idea is that we can understand, uh, identify, sorry, regions of the genome that are um, at play when a lentil is happy here in Saskatchewan and not happy in South Asia and vice versa. The South Asian material, if you grow it here, they're totally not happy, right? Yeah. Um, and so that that allows us then to actually better understand how, if we want to make a cross with a South Asian line for some reason, then when we do that, we're not going to screw up adaptation because we can actually pre-select for the ones that are going to be adapted and focus on them in the breeding program instead of wasting resources on lines that are just not going to make it here. So that that was the big part of the project, I would say. And then then we did, um, we also, sometimes you can't get that adapt, sorry, you can't get that variability within even cultivated lentils. So we also have been looking at wild lentils as well. And Bert's been dabbling in this for a long time in the, in his, you know, uh, over the years looking for additional variability. And so we wanted to add that layer of genomics on it so that we could better understand what the heck is going on when you do make those crosses with the wild species. And, and they come with even more baggage, of course, than you get when you cross with just simply exotic material. They also come with things like that, that producers really don't want, which includes things like shattering. They like lentils aren't short enough. They actually hug the ground. So there's no way you're combining them, you know, just horrible traits like that. And so if we can understand that, we can totally avoid those ridiculous traits when we're working to move in something that we're really interested in and have valuable genes that can come from there. Thanks. Um, so based on that uh, description of the project, uh, can you just outline sort of some of the major outcomes that you found over the course uh, of the research? Yeah, so it was, we learned a ton, um, especially from that global project um, where we now have a much better idea of why a lentil flowers when it does um, here and and in the other regions of the world. And so we can start to identify key genes. We've, we've actually already got some candidate genes that we think are really important. Um, and we know that we want the Canadian version of this gene um, in order for it to be good here. And, uh, and we can, you know, it, when we screen material, we can say, uh oh, that one has the wrong version. So we'll set those aside and only put out into the field the ones that have the so-called Canadian version of the um, of the gene so that it will flower and mature here in a in the right amount of time and we don't have to worry about it. That was the, that's the main one, but at a science, you know, that's the practical side of it for the breeding program, but we have a much better idea of how lentils are interacting with things like day length, which mm -hmm. is important and a huge difference amongst the different growing regions. And then also temperature. We have in Saskatchewan, we have really nice temperatures actually for lentils as opposed to the other two regions, which I found really interesting. Um, in the Mediterranean region, they grow for a very long time because the temperatures are too cold. 
And in South Asia, they, you have to get your crop in and out really, really fast because temperatures get way too hot. So this has dictated the way the plants are um, adapted. And so now that we understand that, we can more easily access the other, I mean, we, we want to control that and then allow the rest of the variability in the, the exotic material to flourish. So you can see it now if you fix the um, adaptation part portion, and then we can perhaps find new sources of yield genes even, right? That yeah. will hopefully increase our, our yields here on the prairies. Yeah, and were there any other, like you mentioned, you know, the adaptation traits, were there other traits that you were, you know, besides yield that you would be looking for specifically, or is it just sort of general, just improvements all across the board? Um, well, I mean, we haven't had a chance to actually follow up, right? We've got the basic understanding and now I guess I would chuck it over to, to Bert or any of the other breeders to now, now take this and see what else is in there. I think it's up to them to have a look, um, in that respect, although in our follow-up project, which we can talk about later, um, it, it, there are some other ideas. And then the other one, the other um, big thing that that we learned a lot about was um, accessing wild germplasm. So, if you want to make crosses with with material that's uh, not only unadapted, but also has wild tendencies. We have some a much better understanding, especially at the genome level, what's going on and, and how we can much more effectively and possibly efficiently um, access uh, genetic variability from those wilds as well. Uh, you did mention already that wild lentil relatives played an important role in the research. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about how you collected the wild lentils, what you learned from them uh, a little bit more, and, and how their genes could potentially help lentil varieties here in Saskatchewan? Yeah, so um, we have a large collection of wild lentils from various gene banks around the world that mostly Bert has been collecting over the years. And... Um, he, he's been testing these uh, for all sorts of different traits. It pretty much started, I believe, with disease resistance. Um, for instance, as a, as a specific example, there's no source of tolerance to anthracnose raised zero in cultivated lentil. Okay. And so um, one of uh, Abebe Tulu, who was one of his research associates a few years ago, he screened a ton of material from all the different um, species and discovered that this one particular species called Lenservoides actually has good levels of resistance. And so between Abebe and a few PhD students over the years, they've been able to show that you can transfer that resistance. And now we can actually, but but it came with baggage, needless to say. And so with the genome, by layering the genomics on top of it, we've been able to see, ah, that explains a lot, right? Like there's regions of the genome that you cannot intergress because there are these, they're physically different. And then there's other regions where it's not a problem. Luckily, the anthracnose raised zero gene, we probably can get it in no problem there are other regions of that particular genome that we are never going to be able to access. So knowing that means you're not going to be banging your head against the wall. If, if, you know, unfortunately the gene you're interested in happens to be in a spot in the genome that there's just no way you're going to transfer it. 
don't waste any time on it. And then right now, and this is, of course, a hot topic, is root rots, right? Um, Sabina Benitza, our pathologist, has been working um, a lot on screening material for tolerance root rots. And, and there's another wild species that um, has not, not resistance, but certainly higher levels of tolerance than we've, we've found in, in, the, in the cultivated lentils. And so now we're working with her to, at the genomic level to kind of see well, what, where in, is it in the, the Orientals genome where that, where are the regions that are useful and can we actually move those in um, through crossing and, and then selection and then also get rid of all the shattering and the horrible growth habit and all of that. So this is very preliminary though, so don't get super excited. That's gonna take, you know, a long, a quite a few years before that's going to hit the market, but but there's hope, I guess, is where to leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as there's hope, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So you've just uh, finished explaining the work you've done using the wild relatives with the cultivated lentil varieties. Why is that work going to be so important for Saskatchewan pulse growers? Uh, and just some further benefits that you can see from the work that uh, you've put in on Agile. Well, I think the main, obviously the interest where the genomics and the basic science that we've been doing um, on, on these kind of projects, how that funnels out to the producers is definitely through the breeding program, right? And so basically the idea is that if we can make the program more efficient because we have markers, let's say, that we can use to guide in selection, what it means is that a lot fewer resources are, are wasted, as it were, on lines that have no hope of ever making it, right? So we can pre-screen early on and before we spend a lot of money and time on material and get rid of them just early on. And that makes... Uh, makes it easier then to look at a lot wider array of material and, and know that you're going to um, be able to work with it in the breeding program and not take forever to actually clean it up and and make something useful and, and better for the uh, for growers going forward. And pretty much all modern breeding programs have are benefiting tremendously from the genomic tools that, that are being developed um, nowadays. It's getting way cheaper. Um, Marker-assisted selection's been around for a long time, but it's only being recently that they've actually been good enough to actually use in the breeding programs and uh, and cheap enough. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was often well, we have a G, we have a marker for such and such, and you could say, yeah, but it's cheaper for me just to put it in the field and look at it. Well, yeah, nowadays it's starting to flip, where for certain um, traits it is much more effective and cheaper to to do it with the molecular tools, and so that's what where we see that really translating would be through breeding programs going forward. So now you're in the middle of a new research project called Evolves. Uh, similar to the other question, uh, I think I know where it's going, but <laughs> what does that stand for? And uh, what does that project hope to accomplish? And then how did Agile contribute to that research? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, evolves. I can never remember what that actually stands for because like a really good acronym is way better than what it stands for. And I think it's really was a, this one wasn't one of Bird's stellar ones, but it, it does stand for enhancing the value of lentil variation for ecosystem survival, which whatever, just call it evolves. And we got t-shirts that said agile evolves because we thought that was pretty cool. It sounds very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thought it was, so it's another Genome Canada project and you have to, you can't do more of the same, right? Yeah. You have to evolve into something else. We thought that was kind of cute. So did they apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so it's evolved in the sense that we're, we are actually looking at genome evolution through the different species. So in much more detail nowadays. So when we started Agile, the lentil genome was rough, shall I say. Um, but right at the get-go, some new technology emerged that has allowed us to more cheaply and 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 much more easily develop uh, a better idea of how that genome actually looks. And now, because of the drop in prices and the increase in the technology, it's you know for less than a hundred thousand, we can get a whole genome. Wow. So now we're looking at the genomes and how they're evolving and and looking at them in conjunction with other legume genomes. So if we we can leverage information out of peas, so if we know there's these genes in peas, we can, or chickpeas or any other legume, we can figure out where they probably are in, in lentils. So for instance, last night, actually, I was supposed to be marking quizzes, but instead I was on WhatsApp talking to my buddy down in Australia, who's um, Jim Weller is being involved in this and, and we, we've been talking flowering time genes, but it turns out that right beside flowering time genes are seed coat pattern genes. And he knows them from peas and I'm going, well, this is looking, sounding really suspicious. And yeah, sure enough, they're matching up in lentil as well. So we can leverage information off the other genomes. So this is where the evolving part comes from the evolution of all these genomes and how we can leverage all that information. And that's all sort of the hardcore genome end of it, but what we're, the practical side that we're pairing it with this time is we've got, well, not that we've got adaptation totally sussed, but we have that one somewhat under control. We decided we'd layer on top of it quality traits this time. And so we want to look at things like protein and vitamins and minerals and things that are on the inside of the seed and then size, shape, color, those sort of outside characteristics. And again, the overall objective basically is to develop tools to let breeders develop these varieties. So, you know, just like when you go and buy a car, you don't just go buy a red car, you buy you know, you want to go buy the red Mustang because it's sexy on the outside and it's got the leather seats and the heated steering wheel and all that stuff, right? So for our lentil, you don't want just a red lentil because that's like the cheap version of lentil. You want a red lentil that's got, you know, a, perhaps a seed coat with certain characteristics so it grows better or that when they mill it, you can use the, the seed coats as a value added, not just garbage. And you can, um, and maybe you want a specific profile because the red lentils are going into the pasta market. 
Okay, they want certain protein characteristics that aren't found in your just regular red lentils. So can we be much more strategic in breeding for very specific um, high value markets instead of just, you know, bulk shipping red lentils to to consumers who can just buy them out of some, you know, countries that are closer to our target markets, right? So maybe we need to think about, and don't forget that breeding takes years, right? A new variety, something that's coming out today started, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So we're thinking into the future and wanting to have tools in place so that the breeding programs can be nimble and yeah, that's what you want. We can put a package together, a variety together that's got the characteristics you're interested in. Thank you. That's really interesting. So that wraps up the discussion for today. So I want to thank Kirsten for joining us and sharing about your research projects and what we can all be watching for in the next iteration as your research evolves. (laughs) Um, So thank you to everyone for tuning into this podcast. For more information about the Agile Project and Dr. Betts' research, visit the research section of the SPG website at saskpulse.com. In other Pulse news, Pulse Canada is leading a project to collect on-farm production information from Canadian faba bean growers beginning next month. If you are a faba bean grower in Saskatchewan, be on the lookout for emails from SPG on how you can contribute to this important project that is looking to quantify the positive environmental story of Canadian-grown faba beans. This information will be used to help develop new markets and build demand for your faba beans. Also, if you haven't registered for the Premier Pulse virtual series yet, you still have time to register for the soybean, market outlooks, dry bean, faba bean, and lentil sessions coming up. Visit the events page at saskpulse.com to find the upcoming session dates and register yourself. Thanks again, and be sure to subscribe to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and the Google Play Store.